Hello and welcome to the Lean on Agile show. I'm your host, Shaheen, and I have a dear friend of mine, Fahad. Um, I know him through the Toronto Agile community. He's a very um, good member of uh, the community here, and we have been um, helping through the same um, community events. Not directly, but I have seen him contributing to the community a lot, and he has he has more to say. Hello, hello, Fahad. Thanks for coming to the show. Hi, Shaheen. It's a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Uh, yeah, we've had some good fun uh, hosting some of the events that you, I know, uh, organize as well as uh, now at the premises we're at. We, we, uh, I volunteer at the Toronto Agile, uh, you know, Agile TO. So, right. you know, it's been a, it's been a, a pleasure knowing you and, yeah. and thanks for having me again. No problem. So tell us, tell us who Fahad is. So Fahad is an Agile coach uh, based in, in Toronto, Canada. Uh, but not limited to working in in the G, in the Greater Toronto area. Um, I've had uh, just over a decade of experience working uh, both as a as a business analyst, but also an agilist. You know, through Scrum or or, or Kanban um, practices and and teams that build software mostly. Uh, and as we know, in the Greater Toronto area, most of the uh, uh, you know employment is with some sort of either financial services or telecom or retail. Uh, and and healthcare and insurance, so uh, that's where my experience has been mostly in financial services and the banking sector. Uh, a few of the of the big uh, five banks has has been a lot of my experience uh, throughout the last uh, decade or so. Right. Um, so uh, yeah. You, so you mentioned a business analysis in some part of um, your introduction. Uh, am I correct to assume that you transition from a business analyst world to the ag agility world become maybe a scrum master become a team lead like tell us more about how, how that yeah worked. yeah this is a funny story yeah i joined uh, an it consulting firm here in the gta a, a large fairly large one in canada and um you know as part of uh, updating their human capital uh, the consulting firm had hired me up as a as a business analyst and that's what i worked as for under a year then they said, well, a lot of our clients uh, can benefit from Agile delivery, this thing called Agile. And so I was enrolled uh, in, a, in a CSM or Certified Scrum Master course uh, that was hosted at the premises of that firm. And uh, all of a sudden, two days later, I was a CSM and, uh, you know, expected to run million dollar projects. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, coming out of the course, uh, uh, my... Uh, you know, my eyes had been open to this new way of working that mm -hmm. that can be that was more natural. That was uh, I love that one of my product owners in the past said this is logical. Mm -hmm. And and I was like, that's exactly what I love. Um, and you realize that, you know, there is a better way of working than these super defined things that are out there in the market. So uh, that's that's what opened my eyes to it. And the funny thing is the pro the program or the project I was on. There was somebody named a scrum master in a scrum master role there that was playing that role. You know, we were having daily standups, we were doing iterative development, et cetera, at the time. And I had no idea. I it just felt like, okay, this is an interesting way of tracking and communicating and, uh, you know, organizing ourselves. But I didn't have the context of what this is and why are we working this way. And so after that two-day course, it made complete sense to me. <laughs> uh, and then and then it was a more natural. So I kind of fell where I was enrolled into the Agile space, if you will. Um, but uh, I could tell you have not looked back and don't want to. <laughs> yeah, yeah, same here. And, and that's a sign of a really good course to be on. Um, to go there and your eyes be open and figure out, oh, there are a whole new way of doing this stuff. And not only looking at getting a certification and telling the world that I am the Scrum Master, right? Um, uh, and so, so, so when your eyes got open, like what aspects of the Scrum Mastership or ag agility were you? You called it natural, like it felt more natural. I call it with a couple of friends that we talked uh, most of mm. the time. We call it common sense. We, we, we call it, this has to be a common sense framework. Like it makes common sense. Like, but what, what areas did you find yourself more interested to expand your, your, uh, your career? Uh, horizons? Yeah. It, it, the first piece was that, uh, that you talked to people more frequently mm -hmm. than, uh, than 
not. Let's just put it that way first. Uh, that was the first thing I was like, oh, that makes sense. Because I, naturally, I, and you know this, we know each other a little bit. I like to be around people. I love talking to people, social person naturally. Uh, and so that was the first thing. I was like, okay, so this is not about just sending emails to each other and right. getting the project moving along. So that was a that was a big part of it. So the people interactions portion. The second one was... Uh, you know, visualization of work and uh, uh, making it visible in a common place. And I know that touches on a couple of other nerves of, of what you and I love. So, uh, so that was one key one. Right, that makes sense. You know, not only one person doesn't have the full picture. Everybody right. does, uh, or at least everybody has access to the full picture. It's their choice. But uh, the point is not consolidated in one place with one person. That was the other eye opening. That makes sense. You know, we're, there's a bunch of people on this program, especially mm -hmm. my only point of reference was this big program because that's what I had just uh, been pulled out of for this training. So it was 80 to 100 people, right? It makes sense. This is not a one-person show. It's 80 to 100 people working on this thing. So all of us need to have, a, have an eye on the ball. Uh, so th those are a couple of natural aspects of this uh, that, you know, I'd even observed in our family, you know, things right. you organize your family around is, okay, we're going on a trip. Oh, when are we going on the trip? On this date. And for how long? For five days. For, And what do we need for the trip? You talk about this as a family, right? Right. Uh, um, and so these things were just common sense and natural uh, that, that came to me uh, out of the course. The other one was um, things can be improved over time. Uh, mm -hmm. And that's, uh, you know, iterative development. That's the basis of, uh, of what we do and, and what we, uh, you know, believe to be true uh, is that you don't you won't build it perfectly the first time whether it's right. a document or uh, whether it's a paragraph that you're writing or an email you're writing or it's complex software you're writing you won't get right. it right the first time you will go back and edit etc so right. those are a couple of things that really stuck with me and coming out of the class as a business analyst my first thing to the to my manager at the time was how can i do this role that i you just sent me to Right. Um, I understand I can bring elements to this to my current role, but how can I do this role of, of this team facilitator of the scrum master? Uh, because that to me of rallying the people, bringing information to light and talking to people was what was so, so, um, you know, attractive to me uh, about, you know, right. building a career and agility in general. Right. And um, you were, um, I'm I'm guessing based based on what you're saying, you were lucky to have that kind of a manager because I because I talked to so many people in in the community or they approached me that we want to be a scrum master and I'm asking them what what part of a scrum mastership or agility can you bring to your own role and we talk about that these are the things that they can do but your manager actually sent you to a CSM class to bring those things to your role so. Um, yeah. People change jobs for for their leadership. They don't change jobs for for that. And that that's was an amazing uh, person to work for. Yeah. Um, so 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 after that, um, you become a scrum masters, and I'm assuming you said you never looked back. So uh, is there if you there there were points that made you want one percent chance to look back, like the, the hard days that you might had in the agility world in as an agile coach as a scrum master what was those days could be <laughs> uh, we have a, a lot of those days uh, <laughs> not so much anymore but we do have some of those days sometimes uh in the beginning especially uh one of the first things uh was you know just kind of continuing but also answering your question uh, coming out of the class i said can i get this role the manager said yes uh but here's the problem with the current client and the current project you're in I don't have a, you know, a staffed position that I have sold. So what I'd like you to do is what I can do is I won't put a project manager or a scrum master in there. I'd like you to fill that gap at the same time. And I was like, perfect solution, right? I keep doing what I'm doing. I'm still providing value for what they hired me and what they placed me to do at this client. At the same time, I'm allowed, I'm allowed to, you know, start to use these tools that I've in my pocket to learn how to use them well and make mistakes. And uh, one of the earlier mistakes was uh, just a uh, or mistake or, you know, I'm not going to call it regret, but it was a point of turbulence, let's call mm -hmm, it, mm -hmm. uh, was uh, at later on, uh, a couple of months into the same kind of one year uh, funded initiative with the client, uh, that the, our client was inquiring another 
business, right? Another yeah. uh, bank, another credit card. And uh, their team was split between Ottawa uh, in a couple of places in Toronto and the United States. Uh, the, their mothership was in the United States for that, for that subset of the business. And so one of the first things was that I say, okay, I want to be a Scrum Master. I'm, I come with all this new energy and these new things to do. And I have to start with a distributed team right off the bat. Mm-hmm. And today there are Scrum Masters or, or team facilitators in general that don't, uh, that barely have to deal, uh, have had to deal with that. And then they're faced with that solution, but they can rely on some older tool set. In my case, I came out of the two-day training. Two weeks later, I'm dealing with a distributed team with lockdown environments that, oh, we don't have a common place to track our backlog. So Jira was, you know, secure or um, any, and you're not allowed to do any other cloud solution even temporarily. Uh, so they hadn't solved for that. Uh, communication platforms were completely different, Cisco versus Skype versus something else. And, um, and, a, <laughs> and the third thing was, like physical locations were were different and some team members were and this is part of an acquisition and so so the cultural aspect of this is okay am i going to be happy at this new employer of mine or a new company or Mm -hmm. should i start looking at work looking for work so there was a more existential questions that people were dealing with at the same time that they had to deliver this project uh, and then work with this distributed team so those are days like why did I take this on? <laughs> uh, can I just can I just go back to hide myself in behind a whole bunch of documentation for these integrations, and I'll just send them the specs, and they'll take care of the rest of it. Um, you know, there were some days there right after, uh, but the more I did this, the closer our relationship as a team began began because we started to talk to each other more and more. It got better, and you start to see the light a little bit after mm-hmm. being in the mud for a certain while. So, you know, th- there's there's some funny days, a few weeks here mm-hmm. and there. And then you add the complexity of two financial institutions trying to merge their data and their reporting right. and their compliance and all of mm-hmm. that, which is a, mm-hmm. which is a and, lovely experience. And, and to this date, I, I think these these are these are could be fresh challenges for for some of our listeners. Right. So working remotely, there, there are some talks of people coming back to the office. Right. Some some firms are asking them to go like certain amount of days, like, so you have yeah. a hybrid situation. So what are, like, you mentioned it very implicitly that you talk more amongst yourself and it helped, but what what else did you do to to help with that? It seems like it was a huge program too, right? 100 people yeah. around 100, yeah. 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 Yeah, this one, this this was a different from the first one, but this was a $60 million uh, one-year integration acquisition project. Uh, so pretty big. Uh, no, no. <laughs> so you're right. Um, what helped? So the first thing is, uh, at the time, being a young person, not being tied down to, you know, I wasn't married at the time, didn't have kids at the time. So I could easily move between the offices Uh, And so, and wherever possible, if people were comfortable doing that, we'd invite them to come and work for a couple of days or a few days here and there. Luckily, uh, a good chunk of the folks were still in the GTA, you know, Scarborough versus downtown versus Mississauga. So there was, there was a way to bring people together, folks in Ottawa, we couldn't do much about. Um, But, you know, we made it a point to share travel plans. So if, you know, the folks in Ottawa were, for whatever reason, coming to Toronto, whether professional or personal, we made it a point to make sure we met, whether it's in a social context or work together for the day type thing. Um, And if it was in an office that was more comfortable for those, we deferred to those things. And and people generally would defer to making it easier for for most people that were, you know, already traveling. So a little bit of a sense of support with each other helped. Uh, you know, from my point of view, what I did was to make sure I continue to ask, continue to communicate, continue to uh, keep track of these things so that we had it at the forefront to make sure we spend time together. Uh, That was a key part of, uh, of making this happen. And and that applies today. Uh, And whether it's in a virtual context or hybrid context uh, in our work environments, the point is that you have to pay attention to these things. Uh, and um, as a team facilitator or as a coach now, you have to pay attention. You have to bring these things to the forefront. 
other than the work that is being done and the process yeah. that may be being followed. Uh, bring the people and the culture aspect to forward because we usually forget that. So that's what helped me do it. I I was uncomfortable traveling TDC. Every day was a different route yeah. you know, for, a, for a few days. But you have to do that for, for the benefit of the larger group. Um, and some right. people did it as well, not just me, but yeah. Right. Yeah, um, a co couple of things uh, to add, if, if you don't mind. One, yeah. um, uh, uh, it was in a scrum guide, but they take it off, uh, being a servant leader, right? So um, a servant leader, um, like no, no matter what type of leadership you would assume, sometimes as a scrum masters, you need to serve the people there. So you might call it servant leader or whatever you want to call it, right? But sometimes you need to, if they are in their infancy, you need to prepare them. You need to even pamper them. You need to get them comfortable, like especially in your situation that there were two different cultures. This was an acquisition. People might feel threatened, right? So that was very find that nice of you to to travel to to different locations like they see you right like as a kind of as a glue as a connector like that's what we call them um yeah. one thing that i wanted to add like you mentioned ottawa versus, versus toronto uh, i was working with one team that they find a very nice uh, a solution and anyone can do this uh, they had they had the same same challenge that one team was in toronto one team was in ottawa and they wanted to have face-to-face -face conversation all the time. So they set up one TV and one webcam on top, and they um, specifically used a long room. So they put a TV and camera on the one end of the room, and they right. did the same thing in Ottawa. And this TV and camera was on 24 hours. And oh, wow. it was like as you were working next to them Physical like space. whenever they want to ask something like from the end of the room they come to the to the tv and camera and say hey hey john can i talk to you john was sitting on his desk they could see that john is there he's not gone to the washroom or go for coffee john comes to the tv and say hey i want to talk about you this can we share a screen and they share the screen they work on it it was so it's still those are small uh, solutions you, you can uh, yeah you know you're out, that's a great idea and you you know, the funny thing is what that made me think of is a war room, right? Uh, right. And so when you when a lot of teams maybe go into production, they have multiple teams that to coordinate with a whole implementation a plan has to be followed, et cetera, et cetera. You're essentially uh, in a live call the whole time, whatever, 8, 10, 12 hours, whatever it takes. Right. I hope it doesn't take that long. But, you know, for the four to six hours, I think on average, you're in that call together. And today that may be a team's chat, but you know, there used to be calls that were just open line. You come join in and out, in and out to give an update or to, you know, call out a, an issue or whatever it might be. It, you know, you don't have, it doesn't have to feel as stressful as a war room, but that's the whole point of open communication. It's got to be easily accessible and you need the visual cues to know whether someone's there or not. Right. And then you, all these other things in the back of our head, oh, he didn't or she didn't respond to my message, you know, in time. Are they ignoring me? Right. Well, yeah, they probably stepped away. So, you know, right. assuming positive intent keeps a healthy atmosphere in the team. So that is a great idea. And it's a good setup right. to even, you know, consider today with, right. um, you know, boardrooms uh, or, or, or meeting rooms enabled with screens and cameras. Right. Uh, you mentioned something that it's really on top of my mind. And I want you to talk more about it if you don't mind. Mm -hmm. have a positive intent um tell us more when you work with teams and how how would you use that how would you how would it shape you working with teams yeah th this is one of those uh and i think as as a scrum master or as a team facilitator or even as a coach coming in uh more recently last few years uh, i've started to um just observe or even see what the behavior of a team is is like around positive intent so do we uh, resort to, or does the team, or do people resort to in a given team, uh, a negative reaction immediately of of a, of something either missing or or something going wrong, or do they uh, ask questions purely based on curiosity and with the intent to help? And the basis of both are something went wrong. It's not the person's fault but we need to do something about it. And that's assuming positive intent is that they didn't mean to sabotage or they didn't mean to ignore. It's purely 
ah, something must have happened. Let's move on. Let's uh, work yeah. together on whatever it is. So whether it's a small thing or a big thing or a personal thing or a work-related thing, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Positive intent is, uh, is the, to me, is the basis of, uh, of building good, strong relationships with your colleagues, with your family members, with your team, whoever it may be. It's a, it's a very important aspect of what I coach on as well. Right, team. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. awesome. So um, Fahad, let me ask you a little bit mm -hmm. of different question. So, sure. um, I, and I ask this typically from, from my uh, guest. Um, I, I started um, a company called Elevate Change. And I typically ask as the guests that are coming to my, uh, my podcast, what do you think about Elevate Change? What, what comes to your mind, Elevate Change? Yeah, when I hear the terms elevate change, first I look, uh, the visual in my mind is an elevator going upwards, okay. not downwards. So that's a good okay. thing. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, and what that means to me is uh, we look at grass le root level changes all the time. Oh, you know, adjust the way we, uh, our meeting frequency or the way we mm -hmm. run a specific meeting or, or the way we write code, the way we test code, blah, blah, blah. There's smaller things that we learn. Elevating change to me when I saw that um, term uh, meant that bringing change uh, to a bigger picture mm -hmm. and having the capacity and the vision to look at the forest instead of the trees. Uh, mm -hmm. So to me, that's, that's what it means. Uh, and it also means to elevate our minds um, mm -hmm. in the leadership context to bring it to higher levels of organization where changes generally either assumed that is not needed like we know what we're doing just tell our teams to do well uh, or teach them how to do better agile or do better development or do better delivery uh, whatever it is um, so to me elevating change is to, to bring it to the to the level where you're looking at a larger context mm -hmm. and um, and really improving that and growing and making shifts in those larger contexts versus mm -hmm. just the smaller ones. Um, right. And sometimes, and there is a time and place for both, right? Mm -hmm. um, they can happen in, uh, in congruence, they can happen in parallel, but we need to be mindful of the both levels or not both, right. but the multiple levels of uh, types of change we're looking for. So that, that's what, you know, it inside. I, I, I love, I love, I love the uh, description that you put. I'm going to use that uh, describing what this is. Right? Thank you, thank you for putting all that. yours. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you mentioned something very, uh, very important. I, I think um, you mentioned about leadership and how they they are working or going through the change, right? Um, yeah. And they look it at uh, another level. Um, have you had any experiences that you can share with us that was successful or it was failure working with leadership through a change that you can share with the audience? Yeah, I have a couple. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll start with, uh, uh, I'll actually start with a note first, just tying back in positive intent. The first thing, and I started to see this over the last couple of few years, it's gotten better now, but early on when, when our, let's say our you know, greater Toronto area community was a little more newer to agile. Um, we used to say uh, leaders are the problem or mm -hmm. leaders don't see this. Uh, but I would like to tie back positive intent here. I think leaders generally have good intentions and the good intentions are, could be in a few contexts. They truly want to do, make a better organization. Of course, they're looking for self-growth, self, -growth, self um, uh, you know, self-improvement uh, in their career, et cetera. Who doesn't? Uh, and the other piece is that leaders are all, we have to recognize that leaders are in a tough, tough position in most cases. And having had some experience myself with leading multiple, um, you know, delivery teams as, uh, at, you know, at, at one, of our pre one of my previous employers, um, I was leading both the, you know, what you would call the center of excellence, what I like to call the center of examples <laughs> mm -hmm. um, uh, or center of education. Uh, for agile and at the same time leading you know four or five uh, delivery teams that were doing software development and and maintenance etc you're in a tough position of having to balance people their uh, um, agendas and your own 
interests and growth and what's important to you. And at the same time, you're balancing growing uh, the people that are reporting to you and supporting the teams that need your help, direction, need your need you to play defense, sometimes need you to play offense. So the first recognition is that leaders are, are, are mm-hmm. in a very important but a very tough position, and we should cut some cut them some slack. I think that's an important uh, thing mm-hmm. call out I would like to make. Uh, in terms of an example, here's a good example. So one of the, uh, this is a president of a region uh, of one of the companies I worked with uh, in the last uh, couple of years. And he reached out to us, um, the uh, set of agile coaches that were working in there and said, you know, I, I'm, I'm the president of blank operations, uh, mm-hmm. this region of Canada, and I need my executive team to be on the same page. And mm-hmm. we don't know where to start. Uh, we're going through some changes, but we don't know where to start in terms of organizing our work. Um, so of course they have the logical, you know, the set of vision, like, okay, we have to increase market share by X. We have to uh, make sure that we are uh, attracting certain amount of sales staff and, and advisors in the company, uh, independent advisors, et cetera. So we want to grow our business, which is totally fine. Those goals are, uh, are clear. What we're having trouble with is is twofold. The first one is that we have a set of new executive team members that are now going to have to work together. And the second thing is we are um, sort of more reliant on the rest of the Canada operations versus just to say the Quebec part of the of the country, like that kind of a situation. Where do we start? And so uh, I, I remember his words, which were exactly... You know, we've we've heard a little bit about agile, but mm-hmm. we would like to know the science is behind agile, mm-hmm. uh, which is how do we operationalize this and make this work for us as an executive team. So keeping in mind, this is a team that's not building software that mm-hmm. is usually not building um, uh, documentation. Even they're probably uh, more around thought leadership and communicating that through, say, PowerPoints or what have you, but also communicating downwards to the team on priorities and decisions, et cetera. So this is an operating committee level team. Uh, and, you know, first recognizing that leader was open enough to say, we've heard about Agile. We think it can help us. Can you help us make sense of this and to see what applies in our context? And so uh, naturally, we looked, we had a few discovery calls with them uh, and we just started with visualization. Mm-hmm. And that in itself was, you uh, know, visualization for, for those that are newer to what this means, it's purely putting up all the items for everybody to see on a simple board that says, here's what we need to do, here's what we're doing, and here's what we just finished, and perhaps what may be in our way that we need to address. Uh, and coming up with a set of decision-making criteria or what most will call policies that will help the, us determine whether something is at a level of satisfaction that we are good with or uh, is it ready to move to the next stage, et cetera. So we helped them develop some of those policies as well, um, which were a set of questions they would ask and thresholds that they determined uh, by themselves. So we just facilitated that set of, and this is you know two of us coaches doing this for, for a couple of months just to get them going. Mm-hmm. And, you know, six months later, we got feedback. It's like, this is working great for us. We're able to constantly go back to our goals, constantly go back to our policies and make decisions so much with so much more ease than we did before, because now a lot of our personal things are out of the way. Mm-hmm. We, we're all able to hold each other accountable and say, look, does this meet any one of the one, two, three objectives we've set out? No, if it doesn't serve any one of them at least, then we don't need to do this. We can deprioritize or ideate or maybe find out if there's something in the idea there that allows us to get better value that'll get us to the objectives. So that was a that was a big, big success story that you know we also use for our own marketing as an agile mm-hmm. coach in team of agile coaches. Um, that was a great positive experience. Um, one, I would say, I don't, this is a, a little bit of a, uh, a failure, if you will, um, was one of the larger programs that another company I worked uh, that I you know consulted for. One of the larger programs, they were in a dire need mm-hmm. of breaking down their teams into smaller teams. Uh, they had a large team of 35 to 40 people that was considered one team working on one application 
And that's what they did. And so, you know, there we've, we tried many things to try and get in and, you know, use data. So it's not like we didn't do the right things. It just, it never turned, um, uh, you know, use data to show that they were overcommitting, use data to show that they're, uh, they were not delivering um, uh, on time for the customer's point of view, right? They may be changing their own timelines to deliver, but when the customer expected something, they didn't have it at the time that the customer wanted it. Um, and at the same time, they were making promises for delivery before they were, they actually knew if this was a feasible promise mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, to make, which are common problems we see, but right. we were doing them. And we tried many approaches through grassroots, through coaching, through facilitation, through some mentorship, so many different approaches that um, over the you know course of, let's say, two to three years that they just didn't crack it. And, mm-hmm. and when I say they, this was a set of, let's say, two to three people in the uh, right. what you would call leadership, both in the business technology and, and delivery sides that just wouldn't budge on that. And then um, I'm happy to see that in the last couple of months, I've been receiving information about, you know, that group. Uh, I don't work there anymore, but, you know, just I still know people mm-hmm. uh, that they have actually decided, started to break down into smaller teams, more feature focused, component focused teams uh, versus, you know, working on one application and having like two 20 backlog items that are big yeah. features all work at the same time. So mm-hmm. that was, I would say, a, a success that we that escaped us. Uh, but I'm happy to see that they came to a realization. And but that's the life of coaches, right? right. Sometimes you have to let them fail a little bit to uh, and Dude. accept your own failure sometimes to just let things play out. Dude. Sorry, that was and, a long answer, but you know, no, that that was a very good answer. And and let me add to that that we are not afraid of failure as coaches, right? So so if yeah. we want it to happen faster sooner, right? Yeah. So if we if we can make it happen faster sooner for us for the client, both are, are better. Sure. But sometimes you you work in um, the, this organization. I had a couple of experience myself that mm-hmm. these are so behemoth huge organizations that you don't even know the um causations relationship there right what do i do to cause this thing to work better right sometimes you just need to do something randomly or something else happens that it uh, yields results and they think that you have done something right and then and then they come and ask you hey replicate this over there i'm like yeah what shall i do then right (laughs) yeah and then you then you start all over again to discover and you find out what worked for another group Right. Doesn't, it doesn't for this one yeah. and it's a different set of problems why because it's a different set of people of a different right. set of you know um issues and intents etc yeah absolutely yeah. yeah i always say that coaches are not only welcoming to failure but they're also they also love pauses we're, we're completely right. comfortable with failure and pauses <laughs> true, true. i gotta put that on a t-shirt yeah, yeah. um uh, two points that i wanted to make from your previous example that was um a group of leaders that ask you to tell us the science behind agile so that was an amazing ask but what it shows is that it shows that they are agreeing that the change is needed like at least that that's an agreement like not only they agree that the change is needed but uh, we want to know how the agile community does it or how the agile people does it and understand the science and you help us with that and that was a very um, luxury uh, yeah. opportunity to have. <laughs> right. Typically, right. you go somewhere and uh, as a consultant, as a coach, and they want some change, but not everyone is ag- agreeing on the change, right? And or they are not agreeing on the on the uh, nature of the change that needs to happen. Some people think that team needs to change. Some people think the leader needs to change. Some people think that someone all over the other place needs yeah. to change, right? So yeah. that was a very good um, ground ground for working. Amazing yeah, yeah, opportunity. yeah. Not not many, and and this is kudos to to that set of leaders, but specifically the requester to us, right? Mm. Who said, "Come and help me." So right. you know, this is president of a, of a large region in Canada, and and you would expect that that comes with a set of pride you know i could go even as far as saying ego in a lot of people to say you know i'm quite successful uh i don't need the help and so that you know kudos to that leader that said no no come and help me i am not the expert in everything um i know how to do sales don't teach me that but 
how to operate better in a team, you guys are the experts of that. Come help us do that. Right. That's great. Yeah. Yeah, that was amazing. So um you have shared so so many good um, experience from your your professional life. If you look at your whole professional life, what is what is the the um, what is the time or what was the experience that you are most proud of? Uh, there is one that is you know close to my heart. Uh, there there are two actually, but I will start with the, this one that I that first came to my mind. Uh, I had a, a, a person, another agile coach, report to me, uh, and um, uh, they sent me a note, uh, or, you know, just on Teams to say, you know, uh, Fad, um, in the in the and they they'd been with the, with that organization for over two to three decades, so they've been there for a long time. They'd seen a lot of changes, a lot of leaders that they had reported to over time, and people that they reported to them. And uh, just to give you that context. Uh, and they said to me, Fad, you leading this team has has been a, a joy like no other. I'm not quoting, but this is paraphrasing the sense. Uh, I wish I had the quote in front of me. I would love to just read it to you because uh, it was it'd be the uh, true, truest form. Uh, it has been a joy. Um, and the way you uh, as a coach or, or as a leader or manager for us have allowed us to to kind of venture into what we want to do in the way we want to do it and not be too prescriptive on the how, focused on the why, uh, has been a joy to, to be a part of uh, over the last you know, two years that I was there at the time uh, so far. Uh, that was a, a matter of personal pride uh, to me. And I'm usually very uncomfortable with talking about myself in, in, a, in that kind of boasting way, but this was a... a Thing of personal joy and i did store the paragraph somewhere i just couldn't find it damn it uh right this moment but uh but this is uh, that was one personal um and in my professional role and it was i don't i don't i didn't have a lot of experience at the time with leading and managing reports like people reporting to me leading and managing people but not people reporting to me is all mm -hmm. the experience i had uh and so this was a a, a a truly meaningful, uh, not only feedback, but, uh, but just an appreciation from, from someone on the team. Uh, that was one, the, uh, and that was, yeah, very, that person is still great friends with me and close to my heart. And I'm working on something with them as well. Um, the other one was more of a, a delivery focused thing that, you know, I worked with one of the, actually one of the largest banks in Canada to uh, launch this product of a self-serve, uh, business, uh, business account to open. Uh, and that was probably the best team and the closest team I've come to what we what we know as hyper productivity or hyper performance uh, that I've worked with. And to this date, we are all good friends, great, you know, close friends. We know each other's um, medical history in a sense, like, you know, when a surgery is happening, when our birthday is happening yeah. to our kids, like that kind of a close relationship. Um, and this, you know, this was a team of people that worked together for a year, year and a half to launch this product and, and then to make other improvements and, and for further features in it. Uh, and it, this was a huge venture for the bank, uh, at the time that they, uh, you know, they had a very manual multi-step, uh, multi, uh, category review process for opening a business account uh, with them. And so uh, I worked with the with these set of people to change that to self-serve. You get an account number right in the moment within the next eight minutes of filling out this application and um, even a credit check, like all of those integrations that you need that are requirements. Um, and, uh, you know, we used things that had not been used in the market before to actually do registry checks, to do background checks and profile, you know, credit history checks, et cetera. Credit history is quite a common one, but some of the other checks that we had in place just hadn't been used before. So that was a great example of, you know, a bank or a client saying, you know, we're going to be bold in this space. We're going to take risks. We're going to uh, try out new technology uh, where it'll help our clients and help build our market share and reduce you know turnaround time it used to take a month for an account to open on average can you believe that uh, yeah. uh, just a simple checking account now you can have an account open within minutes yeah. uh and your 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 client card can come to you within a week you know seven to ten business days that's regular um 
but you can have an operational account eight to 10 minutes. That's a huge leap right. for, for any you know, provider to say, we're onboarding a new client in the next eight minutes, and then they can start using it in the next five, 10 minutes or whatever. Right. So, yeah, those are two yeah. matters of professional pride for me. I, I remember the first time that I uh, yeah. went to a Canadian bank and tried to open my account. <laughs> it might show uh, my my age, but it was a huge pile of document that you had to yeah. sign. And every time, what is this about? Like she she was trying to help me understand. Like after a while, like I'm just going to sign all of these things. Like probably <laughs> yeah. I shouldn't have. I don't recommend anyone. Please read what you sign. Yeah. But it was, yeah. and then. She gave me a. Still, I have that. I still have have, have that. Uh, um, and uh, I remember after a while they introduced online banking. I was like, "Oh my god, online banking! That that's amazing!" And then, yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, just to just to close that off. What what? Um, so imagine all that paperwork had just turned into an online portal with exactly the same fields without thought to right. to streamline. And so even if it was an online application, the, mat, right. the process was exactly the same, which was right. painful. Yeah. Right, right. Awesome. Um, what would you have done differently if you had a chance? Um, I actually thought about this. Uh, I've thought about this a lot over the last uh, couple of years just as my own personal uh, coaching growth. Mm -hmm. And one of those things is, you know, I got, as I shared earlier, I got introduced to the world of Scrum specifically, and that was my intro to Agile. And a lot of people even today believe Scrum is Agile, Agile is Scrum only, like there's a one-to-one -one relationship there right. and that's it. Um, what I'd wished I, I would have done earlier is, in open myself up to more practices mm -hmm. uh, earlier on than just uh, than you know um, uh, than I did. So, for example, Kanban is one of those, and the thinking around uh, Kanban, uh, Lean uh, is is quite baked into a lot of agile things in general. But the concepts of Lean, like you know the seven wastes and things like that, I wish I'd open you know, seek more, uh, seek more of that earlier on and start mm -hmm. to bring a lot more of that uh, into the work I was doing both as a scrum master and then even as a coach at, a, uh, at some point. Um, and so that is not a regret because you can always get more information. You can, your, you know, mind is always working. So you can always learn at any given age or point in your career. And we're learning even just talking to each other right now. Uh, but I wish I'd done it a little earlier and started to apply and you know, test it, test those concepts for me to understand and master them earlier um, than I did. So it's a it's a thing that, you know, I'm catching up and but aren't we all? Yeah. Uh, but I wish I'd done it earlier so that I can apply a yeah. bunch of these concepts. Yeah. The moment that you assume you're agile, that's the moment that you're not. There's always more to learn. Uh, yeah. And, and so on that note, what would you recommend people? Is there a, a, a resource that would recommend people if they are starting with their agility journey or something that um, drama, drastically change your, your thought process that you want everyone to know about? Like it could be a course, could be a person, could mm -hmm. be a book, any, anything yeah. that you want to recommend. Yeah, I actually already do give these recommendations, and, and this is a great opportunity to share these. Of course, you're not limited to only using these, but I have different aspects of it. The first is uh, being around other Agilists, more experienced yeah. Agilists physically. Um, you know, we, uh, we, we, I volunteer with Agile uh, TO. Uh, I know you have uh, lead in an Agile uh, meetup. So being part of these meetup groups is actually a huge, huge benefit that I received as a growing scrum master that just came out of a two-day course and said great let me just do this but mm -hmm. then you need guidance and sometimes you don't have guidance at work um, so at the time at least and you know this the community was fairly small um, today there are more and more trained uh, scrum masters those trained Kanban leaves but they're not experienced yet and so leaning on see how I work that in, leaning on other uh, um, uh, other experienced agilists and being around them and listening to them and understanding what they're trying to say and finding these areas of growth to say, okay, I think I want to learn more about this is a key thing. So look for meetups, look for, and these are free, right? So they're not, you don't have to pay memberships for these. These are free in the community by, organized by these wonderful people like yourself and others to, um, 
to you know grow and mature our community the way uh, in a, in a healthy and a true way versus um, letting it go with uh, go you know continue with misconceptions in the wrong direction. So that's that's number one, being physically around and and when I say physically, it also means through Zoom. Um, there are other folks that are that are um, hosting meetups and fireside chats and things like that. So so definitely avail yourselves to those. Of course, books are, are a great source. Uh, one that I'm reading right now is The Joy of Agility uh, from uh, by Joshua uh, Karievsky, uh, who, you know, the guy uh, who's founded Industrial Logic. Uh, and, mm -hmm. you know, if some some folks may know Modern Agile, the, the wheel, no, he, he was the, these are all his brainchild. So he, what he's done with this book is just a short collection of stories about mm -hmm. Uh, the joy of agility and and um, he's applied both personal and professional stories to so reading books is a great one uh, you can start you know as a, as a new scrum master coming in if that's what you decided to go or a new kanban um, kanban trained professional you know looking just going back to the basics of the blue book or um, you know even reading the agile project management uh, so these are very old books in, in the agile mm -hmm. space um, can just introduce you to examples and to ideas that'll help you at least find areas of curiosity. Um, I'm a coach now and a, and a book that, that really, really, I still go back to every once in a while to work on different aspects of my coaching skill and mentoring skill is uh, Agile Coaching uh, uh, from by Lisa Atkins. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, even to this day, it'll I'll be like, oh, I need a tidbit on how to approach this or let me revisit this concept so I can apply it here better. Uh, those are a couple of books that really helped me. Uh, folks in the in the agile community internationally that uh, I revere and and learn a lot from. Mike Cohen is is mm -hmm. one, you know, I call him the Godfather of user stories, <laughs> but uh, you know he's really great with with just overall Scrum and user stories and planning poker, like mm -hmm. some of these concepts uh, and and just how to deal with team dynamics and product backlog. Right. So everything. Um, Lisa Atkins is another one in the, as a, uh, as a very senior experienced agile coach. Um, there are a couple others in the local community that, that I love. Yeah. You know um, what's I, I only know his nickname. I forget his, uh, his real name, but um, cheesy. So um, what's his name? It'll come to me. Jeff, Jeff Morgan. Jeff Morgan. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> I always know his, uh, and you know, these are folks that I just sat and listened to at meetups and they have this wisdom and this knowledge that they bring uh, both technical or people focused or, or otherwise that you can say, okay, I understand this or no, I don't understand it, but I know what it's called. Let me, let me go and learn. So, yeah. yeah. Thank you. Amazing. Uh, Fahad, is there anything that we should have talked about, but we didn't? Is there anything that is um, you want to share? Yeah, we talked about a lot, a lot of great things. Uh, you know, just one of the things, one of the things people ask me, and, and this is me just thinking right off the cuff now, Shaheen. One of the things people ask me is, Fahad, what, um, what prompted you to go into agile coaching or how did you go mm -hmm. into agile coaching say from scrum master or mm -hmm. from some other role right and uh, my answer usually to that is uh, i'd come to a point as a scrum master where where especially when you've been with some clients for a little longer that you get your team to a good place of self organization and that frees up some of your time and mm -hmm. I use that time personally to then help other scrum masters um, do things a little differently or even learn from them on things I can tweak and apply. So, and eventually as I started to do that more and more, I found more and more joy in that. Mm -hmm. uh, and I said, I guess that's what a coach does. Uh, they help other practitioners uh, get better using their own experience, but also they learn from other practitioners to see if there's something they can improve on to apply and help other practitioners, right? So so that's part of what, you know, I said, okay, I, I've learned a few things. I can start helping others and I, there's a lot more to learn for me. And by helping others, I'll solidify what I already know as concepts and, and better myself there, but also be introduced to new issues, new problems. And the one thing we can't, uh, we find it difficult to really, actually, we really can't do is to live someone else's life, but we can try to get the wisdom from it. And so that's what prompted my journey as a coach is to start to help others like the community had helped me. 
Um, and and that's maybe one one area I would love to like I wanted to address that or to share that with some of your listeners. Yeah. Uh, what may prompt a change or uh, some people think this is a level change, like oh you, mm. I get promoted from a scrum master to a coach. No, I think it's more of a calling or a realization of what you want to do. Um, some folks and some folks are very happy being scrum masters and and they should be because they're so good right. at what they do and they're so committed to that that they don't want to do anything else and that's totally fine so this is not an upgrade or a level up in a career it's yeah. a different path that became available to me and and gave me more satisfaction in my career so I just wanted to address that, that one yeah. Yeah, I remember in early days when I was a developer, um, I I started working in a company and there was this gentleman that was developer there for 30 years and he was still a developer and he was asking the colleagues there, why hasn't he been promoted to a team lead or hasn't he promoted to a management? Because I assume that's a natural progression of if you're good at what you do. But then after... Uh, I matured in my professional career, I figured out, no, that's not always the, the natural path. Sometimes you decide that this is where I want to be and I'm really good at this and I'm I'm there. Like I remember at that time he had he had books from uh, assembly language to Delphi to C plus any any kind of language that you would could think about. It was it was yeah. on his desk. He had a huge so he was very good developer. So why would he change that? Right. Mm -hmm. So um, even if you yeah. go up the ranks, right? Now everyone um, um, respected yeah. him very, very, uh, very deeply. Uh, so Fahad, on that note, thank you. Thank you so much for being on the show. Um, we, I appreciated uh, uh, your presence and I valued our conversation. I hope you enjoyed it too. And um, oh, uh, is there any way, uh, do you want to share how people can get in touch with you if that's something that you want to share? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, thank you for having me, Shane. This was a pleasure. And, and I know we'll talk a lot more, but this was awesome to be here. Uh, you can reach me through LinkedIn. Uh, just search my name, F-A-H-D-K-H-A-N, Fahad Khan. Um, and uh, I, I have a website. It needs work, but it's milesprint.com. Um, I will be revamping it a little bit as well. Um, and I'm working on something, uh, you know, in the near future. Um, uh, you know, later in the year 2023 uh, for uh, for folks to come in and learn a few things uh, that I've come to learn uh, and I'd like to share and build a community. So more on that later, but, and that'll be up on the website, but um, those are two places to reach out to me uh, and my email's there as well. So thank you uh, for your time, Shane, and this was fun. Thank you. Have a good day. You too. Take care.